So like I mentioned, and as we kind of kicked off uh, our worship gathering, uh, we are in our Advent series as a church family. And this honestly has become one of my favorite seasons, one of my favorite things that we, that we do as a church family, really embracing the gift that, that Advent uh, can, can be. Um, one of the things that I love about the Advent story is just the way that it just draws us into the, the story of God in this unique way. The way that it just draws us in in this kind of fresh way this time of year to remind ourselves of the kind of God that we, we know and we serve that would come, that would dwell with us. Like Brandon mentioned earlier, if, if you're unfamiliar with Advent, this word uh, comes from the Latin word Adventus, which literally means just coming or arrival. Um, so the global church kind of across the globe during the advent of the Christmas season, what, what we do is we simply just celebrate and remember Jesus' first coming, while at the same time anticipating and longing for his second coming. So we remember and we celebrate and we contemplate all the implications of a God who is Emmanuel, a God who is with us. A God who would come in the form of a baby, a God who would literally enter into the very mess that we found ourselves in. While at the same time, it's not just about his first coming, it's us anticipating and longing for and pining for his second coming. You see, this Advent season just has this way of reminding ourselves of, of the, the last days that we are in as a church, as it says in the book of Acts. These last days where we, we are longing for something greater, longing for something better, longing for Jesus to come in all his glory, his full glory to establish his eternal kingdom. And so this season is not just marked by celebration and anticipation of, of Jesus coming in his birth, but also this deep anticipation and this pining, as that song says, for his second arrival. Now, traditionally, the, the Advent season in the church is kind of broken up into to four weeks, and each of these weeks has a theme or a characteristic of God that we really just lean into. And so it's hope, peace, joy, and love. Last week, Brandon kicked Hope Week off for us. Uh, this week, we're going to dive into peace. We're gonna kick off the week of peace together as a church family. Um, I'm really looking forward to just unpacking this together because I think this is, a, this is a deep longing within each of us. I don't know if when Brandon said, hey, how many of you like just need the peace of God right now? How many of you are like, yes, like I do. If I had to imagine, if I just had you all like raise your hand right now, every, every single hand would be up in the room. Now, I don't know if it's just because I was teaching this week on peace or I was just thinking about it a lot, but I think of all, all of the Advent themes, hope, peace, joy, and love, I think, I think peace is probably the, the least present and the most elusive. The, the least present and the most elusive in our lives and in our world. And I think anecdotally, I could argue this pretty easily, um, some of you have experienced this over the last two years, just the lack of peace in our world, whether it's, you know, witnessing an argument on social media taking place back and forth over a hot button issue, whether it was conflict between family and friends on how to handle the pandemic and the vaccine, et cetera. 
Or, I mean, do you remember the election that we just went through and walked through? I mean, people literally storming the Capitol. I mean, peace felt like, feels like it's at an all-time low, and I could go on and on and on. But it's not just perception and anecdotes. This week, I spent some time actually looking, okay, peace. Like, where are we at as a world in regards to peace? I looked up some stats, and there are now more violent conflicts globally than at any time in the past 30 years. Right now, the world is facing the largest forced displacement crisis ever recorded in human history. An estimated 235 million people currently need humanitarian assistance and protection. That's one in 33 people globally. Riots, strikes, anti-government demonstrations increased 244% between the years of 2011 and 2019, 244%. I think these statistics, I mean, they they paint the picture well, but if I had to go around and ask you, like, would you believe this to be true based upon the news, based upon your news feed, based upon your conversations? I think you would say, yeah, okay, that makes sense, all the things that I've felt, that I've seen, that I've sensed going on around me. It is just abundantly true. There is a deep lack of peace in our world. But the lack of peace isn't just external. It's not just this global thing that's happening. There's a a lack of internal peace. There's a lack of like heart level peace. In the United States, the most common mental illness uh, affecting almost 40 million adults in the United States is anxiety disorders. That's almost 20% of the population. And I, I bring all of this to your attention, not to like, scare you or depress you this morning. You're like, ah, too late, Andrew. I'm feeling pretty depressed after that. But to really just highlight the need, the need for people of peace, people who are marked by a non-anxious, peaceful presence, people who embody and preach a, a gospel of peace. I share those things, and you could probably feel that when you like drive on the interstate most days in Nashville, you're like, yeah, okay, there, there needs to be more peace in this world. There needs to be more people who are marked by a non-anxious, peaceful presence because when I look around me, it's just not what I see more often than not. People who are marked by peace beyond their set of circumstances. People who are marked by the presence of the living God who's Presence alone just gives us a hope so much greater than we have in anything else. And this morning, as we look at the Advent story, we're gonna see this is the very thing, this is the very thing that Jesus came to offer, peace. It's that line that we just sang, his law is love and his gospel is peace. His gospel is a gospel of of peace that brings peace. And I want us to jump back into where we started last week, the gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, jump with me to Luke chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. Feel free to grab that. Um, If you weren't with us last week, I want to spend a few moments just kind of catching us up in the story, um, reminding us of where we've been. 
So Luke is a little bit unique in his gospel. Um, He begins his gospel not with Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus. Luke begins his gospel with uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah and the birth of John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist is is really significant because he's gonna be the one that comes and prepares the way for the coming Jewish, Jewish Messiah that we know to be Jesus. And so Zachariah and Elizabeth, as Brandon unpacked last week, they're, they're very old in age, um, and they've been praying for a baby. And an angel of the Lord comes to them and says, hey, your prayers have been heard, and you're going to have a child. And this child is gonna be really significant in the story. He's gonna be the one that plays a very important role of preparing God's people for the coming Messiah. Luke says he, he makes ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, all of this happened. Um, She became pregnant, and nine months later, John, who later would become known as John the Baptizer, is born. Now, if you remember last week, the angel of the Lord comes to Zechariah, and he tells him what's going to happen, and he's like, "Eh, I'm not quite sure if that's possible. And the angel said, hey, because you didn't believe me, you're actually not going to be able to talk for a full nine months. Until your son is born, you're not going to be able to speak. And now I just was thinking about that this week, like the reality of not being able to to speak for nine months, nine whole months. You know, his wife, Elizabeth, was like, thank you, Lord. This is the greatest gift you've ever given me. But I was just thinking about like him, like what that was like. So much time to think, so much time to contemplate. So much time to replay in your mind like what, what had just happened and, and what it actually means. So much time to pray. Like when you don't have anybody else to talk to, think of how much time he spent just talking with God, communing with Yahweh. Think about how much time he spent just listening, just like listening to the Lord, like just listening to people. I would imagine probably more than any time in his life, he learned more about himself. He learned more about others. And most importantly, he learned probably more about God than he ever had before. And then we come to this moment where we're at today. Luke chapter one, and it's the moment. John has been born his son. Zechariah is finally able to speak. And we get to this moment, and he doesn't just speak. Zechariah actually like bursts out in song. And this is where we find ourselves. Luke chapter one, verse 67. He says, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Verse 76, he's actually now gonna speak to uh, prophesy about his son, John, here in this moment. He says, and you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And then verse verse 78, he begins to prophesy about Jesus. 
And this is what he says about Jesus. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. To guide our feet into the path of peace. You see Zechariah in verse 78, he begins to prophesy and speak specifically about Jesus what the coming Messiah was gonna do, what the coming Messiah was going to accomplish. And he says, hey, he's gonna shine his light in the darkness. And then of all the other ways that it could have described, that he could have chosen to describe the advent, the, the coming of the Messiah, this is what he chooses to say. This is how he chooses to paint the picture. He says, hey, he's gonna put your feet into the path of peace. I think it's really important to note that that's how he chooses to describe the coming and the advent of Jesus this morning. What I want us to do is just look at this path of peace. Okay, Jesus invites us onto the path of peace. Like, what is this path of peace that we are invited to step into? And I wanna, I wanna do that by kind of looking at three movements. Three movements. One, the, the receiving of that peace. Uh, the second thing is the, the reflecting of that peace that we're invited into. And the third movement is us remembering Remembering the perfect peace that is yet to come. So receive, reflect, remember. Let, let's kind of jump onto this path of peace right now that Zacharias sings about. And first talk about us receiving the peace. This is the first step. Like you think about a path, what do you have to do? You have to step onto a path, right? You have to choose that path. It's where the whole journey of peace begins. And I really believe that life as a, as a person of God, as a follower of Jesus, is an invitation into a life marked by peace. And what I love about our God, about who he is and what he's like, is this is an invitation to anybody. This is an invitation to all. He makes that abundantly clear. He doesn't give any sort of preface, hey, in order to step onto this path, you have to clean yourself up. In order to step onto this path, you first have to have peace yourself. No, this path is a path that anybody can choose to step onto and walk in. And it begins first and foremost with just the peace that comes with salvation. I think we kind of forget about this peace sometimes, just the peace of salvation. When you accept Jesus into your life, when you choose to follow him, when you choose to obey him, when you're baptized, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there, there is an act of peace that is accomplished. Without Jesus, we are not at peace with God. We are at war with God. But in Jesus, we are at peace with God because of him, because of what he's done, because of what he has accomplished. This is what it says in the book of Romans, it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through Jesus. It's what Colossians chapter one says. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus reconcile himself all things by making peace through his blood. You gotta understand, we have to understand, we have to remember, hey, our peace with God, it is there, it is possible, but the peace comes at a cost. That's right. It comes at a cost. 
We stand in grace. We stand in peace with God, hallelujah, because of the saving work of Jesus. We have to remember that. But life is so much more than just checking the piece of salvation box. Like Jesus, he promises, hey, I've come to give you life and life to the full. The the abundant life is available in me. Jesus, he didn't just come to give us, hey, the peace that comes with salvation. He, He came to give us a peace that surpasses understanding. He came to give us a peace that goes beyond like our set of circumstances, a peace that that can dwell deep within the heart, deep within the mind, deep within the soul of a human being. And the Jewish word for for peace, the Hebrew word for peace is actually shalom. Say that with me, shalom, shalom. Shalom. It was was the way that they would actually greet one another. When, When they would, it was like their high, it was their goodbye. Shalom would be the way that they would greet one another. It was so important to, to, the, to the Hebrew culture. And the word shalom is just so much more robust and full than, than our word peace. It's not just talking about lacking it, of conflict or war. Um, it's talking about complete wholeness, completeness, like tranquility. Shalom is about what God does at the, at the beginning in Genesis, and it's where we're headed at the very end. The Garden of Eden, it it is shalom. It is peace in all its fullness. Revelation 21, shalom, complete peace, complete fullness, complete tranquility. It's that peace that we all long for. When you think about like your inner being and you're you're like, I wanna wanna feel whole. I wanna feel good. I wanna feel at peace no matter the circumstances. It's, It's shalom that you're longing for. It's the thing that everyone's looking for and grasping for. Now, what I do a lot of the times, and I think if we're all being honest, we all sort of do this, what what we end up doing is looking for this shalom, looking for this peace in in a lot of the wrong places and a lot of the wrong things. So what, what I end up doing is typically going after peace of mind. And peace of mind it's, it's good. I like peace of mind. We all want peace of mind, but peace of mind is temporary. Peace, peace of mind will, will always cease to exist. It's that moment when we think, okay, when, whenever I get fill in the blank, I'll have peace. Whenever, whenever blank happens, okay, that's, that's the moment when I'll have peace. Okay, hey, we may not say it out loud and we may not even think it on like a, a conscientious level, but it's like, okay, when I land that job, when, when my retirement account hits this number, when, when there's reconciliation in this relationship, then I'll have that lasting peace. Hey, when this one prayer is answered, when, when I'm finally able to buy like this house, whatever it is, you, you know yourself, you know your journey, you know where you're probably doing this right now. It, it just doesn't last. It doesn't last. It may bring temporary peace, but we all know how life works. It's like, oh, the next set of circumstances. Oh, that, that next longing in my heart that I wanna satisfy, that I, I wanna bring peace into my life. The next goal, the next thing that you need to attain in order to get peace. 
Okay, more square footage. It is not gonna bring the peace of heart and the peace of mind that you think it will. That dream job, it, it, it may be good, and that's a good desire, but it's not gonna satisfy the deep desires of your heart that only Jesus can. Whatever it is, whatever that thing is, and you probably know it yourself, it's, it's ultimately a counterfeit peace because the peace the peace that we all long for, that, that, that complete wholeness, that complete tranquility, no matter the circumstances, it cannot be found in anything, in anyone except Jesus. Jesus in John chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, it's what um, we read earlier. He says this, he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said. And listen to this from Jesus. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. He, he doesn't just promise any peace. He gives us his peace. The peace that he has is the peace that he gives to us. Hey, he says, hey, I'm not gonna give peace like the world gives peace because we know that's an empty peace and an empty promise. But what I'm gonna give you is a heavenly peace, a divine peace, a peace that could only come from him, apprenticing under him on the path of peace. Now, I think it's really important that he chooses to say peace, he just talked about the gift and the promise of the Holy Spirit. A really big moment, John 14, he says, hey, I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit's coming. And what is the thing that he chooses to emphasize the Holy Spirit's gonna be doing in us? He says, my peace I'm gonna give to you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, peace is gonna be available. And I think he knew it because peace was gonna be the thing that we maybe needed more than anything else. He knew at that moment for his disciples that he was speaking to, and he knew it for the disciples to come for generation after generation, right up until us. You see, he lived on the earth. He had experienced life as we experience it. Think about this moment. He finds himself here. He's getting ready to go to the cross. His friends are getting ready to completely abandon him. He's getting ready to be accused for something he did not do. And what does he have in this moment? Divine peace. What kind of peace does he give us? His very peace that he has in this exact moment. It would be the only thing that could get him through the next few things that were gonna happen to him. And I believe it's the only thing that allows us to walk through the ups and downs of life with any sort of hope. This message from Jesus is so important. In fact, he later goes on to essentially repeat himself uh, in John 16. He, he goes on later to say in John 16, he says, I've told you these things. So he's like, hey, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Once again, like, where do we find the peace that we're all longing for? Where do we find the peace that we're all looking for? It's only in one person. In me, Jesus says. In me. 
Now, between John 14 and John 16, Jesus, and honestly, probably one of my favorite teachings of his, John 15, he talks about the importance of abiding. If you're familiar with this, it's where he says, hey, remember, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You, you must remain in me. You must abide in me. Because apart from me, you, you can do nothing. He says, hey, a life of abiding, a life of remaining, of walking with him, obeying his commands, that's gonna be the only posture that allows this peace to produce itself in our lives. I also find great comfort in the words from John 16 because Jesus makes it clear that, that both peace and trouble like, are possible together. Jesus doesn't say, hey, there's gonna be times where you have peace and then that peace is gonna leave you and then there's gonna be times where you have trouble. No, he says, hey, there's gonna be trouble, there's gonna be heartache, there's, there's, there are going to be hardships. There are going to be difficult things that you walk through. There's gonna be death, there's gonna be pain, there's gonna be heartache. It's, it's gonna happen. But through me and in me and only through me, you can have peace right in the middle of it. Now, that doesn't mean there's not gonna be pain. He doesn't say, hey, there's not gonna be pain. Doesn't mean there's not gonna be tears. There's probably gonna be both of those. But in a way that can only come through life in Jesus, there can be peace, the peace that surpasses understanding, the peace that comes from a life of abiding in him. Uh, there's this really amazing woman who used to be a part of our church family. She moved away. Um, right now, she is in the midst of a battle with cancer. And Jill Anderson is really good friends with her. And me and Jill were talking about um, this woman and just the way that she is walking through this set of circumstances. And uh, Jill was saying she had a conversation with her and she's, she just said, hey, everything's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay. And you know those moments when someone says, hey, it's okay. And you're like, yeah, but I know it's not really okay. And then there's those moments when someone said, hey, it's gonna be okay. And you're like, they really believe that. And Jill made the comment to me, she's our kid's pastor back there right now serving. We love you, Jill. She said, you know why that's true? It's because she lives a life of abiding. She walks it. She walks with Jesus. She abides in Jesus. So this path of peace that we're invited to walk on with Jesus, we're, we're first invited to receive it. But receiving it is not where it ends. As followers of Jesus, we're then called to reflect the peace that we have in him. So let's talk about the second movement, reflecting. But what I love about what, what he says, Jesus says in John 15, when he's talking about abiding, I'll tell you what, this week, read John 15. Just go and read John 15 and then, and then live into it. Because I love what he says. He says, hey, if you abide, it's not an if that you will bear fruit. It's if you abide, you will bear fruit. And we know that a tree bears fruit, not for itself, right? But a tree bears fruit for others, for the good of others. So when we receive the peace that's available in Jesus, when we walk in this divine peace, we know, hey, we're then gonna become conduits, conduits of peace to the people around us. Do you wanna know how to be countercultural? 
Do you, do you wanna know how, how to be an example, to be a witness of the kingdom that is to come, of the kingdom that Jesus brings? Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Be someone who's slow to speak and slow to become angry. Be someone who doesn't sow discord, who doesn't slander, who is quick to listen and slow to speak. And then when you do speak, your words bring life and peace to the situation. Hebrews 2.14, it says this. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Okay, why does it associate effort with peacemaking? Because it takes effort and it takes intentionality. Like this is not our natural disposition. So it takes effort, it takes intentionality. First and foremost, just the effort and the intentionality of, of the abiding that we've been talking about. The effort of creating that space of cultivating that space to be someone who abides in Jesus. We can't expect to produce peace. We can't expect a life of peace if we don't make an effort of abiding in him, the source of all peace. The effort it takes to create that space, to, to be still in his presence, to, to quiet out all the other noise, to allow the reign and the rule of Jesus in our hearts. It's gonna take effort not to strike back when you're wronged, when you're taken advantage of, when you're gossiped about, when you're slandered, when you're treated unfairly. It's gonna take effort to be a peacemaker. But being a peacemaker isn't just about being passive. It's not just about not saying something, but it's about being active. That's what makes the peace of Jesus so different. He, he entered into the world. He entered into our mess. He came in and, and, and he made a way for peace to be possible. And that's us. We enter into the mess, not because we have all the answers, but because we have someone who does. It will take intentionality to be a peacemaker in your workplace where everyone else seems to be out for their own good. But I promise you, when you live this way, when you act this way, when you lean into being a peacemaker, wherever it is you go, you are gonna leave people dumbstruck. It's so opposite to how everyone else operates. Now, if I'm being honest, and I have to like remind myself of this every time I teach or preach, like I can be really idealistic. I can, I can like paint this picture of, of abiding of life with Jesus, and then I leave here on Monday and I'm like, man, did I even listen to myself? Like, I can be a little idealistic even to my own detriment. Because I've had moments, I have moments where I'm walking in the path of peace, where I'm leaning into this, where I've tasted this peace that surpasses understanding. But I also have moments where I've stepped off the path. I'll probably have one of those moments this week where, where anxiety will begin to creep in, where I'll begin to get fearful about this one thing that's going on in my life, where every part of my heart in my life is not at shalom, wholeness, 
completeness. Because life, right? We can't be afraid of bringing our lack of peace into the light. This side of eternity, between the first advent and the second advent, there will be plenty of moments when we don't feel peace. It's just true. Which brings us kind of to this third and this final moment on the path of peace. Remembering, remembering the the perfect peace that is yet to come. Jesus' first advent, his first coming, opened up the door for us to step onto the path of peace. But we have yet to reach the final destination, which will come at his second advent, when, when he will make all things new, when there will be a new heaven and a new earth where perfect peace will be achieved. It's like what we read in Isaiah earlier, where all of the swords will be turned into plowshares, things that were used for harm and evil and war will now be turned into things that will become peace. It's why we long for and we hope for and we pray for the second return of Jesus. It's that Maranatha cry in prayer, come Lord Jesus, come. So as we remember the perfect peace that is to come, it also frees us to be honest about our lack of peace in the present age. What do we do when we're struck with fear? What do we do when anxiety attacks? We don't hide it. We don't shame ourselves. We don't shame those around us, but we bring it to Jesus. We bring it to community. We choose to step back on the path of peace yet again because we know that perfect peace is coming. So this morning, what I want us to do around communion is I want us to contemplate these three things. I want us to contemplate, okay, how how is it that we receive the peace that Jesus came to give? How how is it that I can reflect the peace that's on the table? And how is it that remembering the perfect peace that is to come allows me to live honestly in the moment we find ourselves in? So today, around communion, I want us to just really reflect and contemplate on these questions. You can put them up if you want. How can you posture yourself this Advent season to receive the peace that is available in Jesus? Like, what's an intentional posture you can take this season to to really receive that peace? Is that carving out time in a new way to just be intentionally with the Lord? Is that jumping into an Advent reading plan and spending time in the Word? Maybe, you, maybe you've kind of been inconsistent about your time in God's Word, and this is the season, this is the moment where you say, hey, I'm gonna receive the peace that I know comes from life in God's Word. Maybe for you, it's saying, hey, each day, I'm gonna meditate and reflect upon the Christmas story. I'm just, I'm just gonna get, get up each morning, I'm gonna turn on the Christmas lights, and I'm just gonna reflect on what this season actually means. Number two, where is there an opportunity to reflect the peace of Jesus to those around you this season? Where is there an opportunity for us as the people of God to be peacemakers? For some of you, you already know that person. You already know that situation. You already know that thing that's happening in your life right now where you say, okay, I'm gonna choose to be a peacemaker this Christmas season and walk on the path of peace. And then number three, how does remembering that perfect peace that is yet to come, 
affect the way that you live today. Let me pray for us and then we'll head to communion together. Father, I'm so grateful for the, the gift and, and life with you, walking with you, being with you, <laughs> walking with others. I'm so thankful that we don't have to walk this life alone, that for the moments we're lacking peace, for the moments where, where anxiety is filling our hearts, we, we can come to the people right around us and say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. And we can invite them to pray for us. We don't have to do this alone, Jesus, and I'm so grateful that you saw that that would be good. So Father, I ask that during this time of communion, you would really fill our hearts with hope and peace and joy and love. Give us a glimpse of what life with you is really like when we're abiding. And Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Together as a whole church, we say, amen.